Good afternoon. Good evening. I'm Dove, Dove Tuzman. I can't even pronounce my name correctly. <laughs> Mushmouthed tonight. You're on equal footing, and we're talking about a subject close to home. Britney Spears. <laughs> You'll get the connection in a moment. So, Britney Spears was put under conservatorship in uh, 2008. What is conservatorship? She was basically, her life decisions were taken away from her. They were put in the hands of her father, later, later others, an accountant, etc., including her decision on, on who she could marry, uh, where she would live, uh, what tours she was able to go on, even the color of her kitchen cabinets. Her whole life was put in the hands of, of someone else. Now, really, our show isn't about Britney Spears, but it is about the concept of conservatorship, of guardianship. There are almost one and a half million people in this country that are under legal guardianship. That doesn't even include, of course, minors that are under the guardianship of their parents. It doesn't actually include, uh, we've touched on this before on equal footing, folks that are under a guardian ad litem. A situation where, where a court is just intervening to get information to effectively uh, represent someone's interests, like a child in a custody battle. We're talking about folks that are under permanent, quote-unquote, protection by another person. Their rights to make decisions about where they live, where they work, who they marry, what kind of health care, mental or physical health care they get. Those rights are stripped of them, and they're put in the hands of someone, often a family member, not always, who is looking out for their best interests. Now, obviously, I'm saying this in a somewhat piquant way. I'm trying to to address kind of the devil's advocacy because the system is one that helps, has over the years helped tens of millions of individuals. In fact, the United States arguably has the most advanced, most nuanced system of guardianship and conservatorship in the world, yet at the same time, often these things need to be looked at. Refreshed reform is is needed. I'm joined here this evening by a, a, a preeminent expert in this area of guardianship and receivership, particularly around young adults when they turn 18 that have mental health challenges, that are developmentally um, delayed, that have developmental disabilities, that are not capable of making the right choices for themselves without an independent kind of fiduciary voice, if you if you will. And this this guest tonight has really, uh, as is often the case, displayed courage in the show by by kind of coming into the lion's den and talking about something that really has folks' hackles up. I think the Britney Spears case that got so much attention uh, late last year has got a lot of people thinking about this topic. And I salute Kim Martin, I guess, for being on and, and uh, taking on some of these questions. Kim is a partner at the law firm of Harrison and Held, and she does all sorts of uh, different uh, practice areas around trusts and, and estates, but she specifically focuses on estate planning and this issue of guardianship often for families with a special needs 
uh, family member. Her areas of expertise as it touches on this include not only guardianship, but divorce settlement agreements. We've talked about that in a previous show around, as I said, this guardian ad litem concept and cases, all sorts of cases that involve a special needs child, including tax planning. And before Kim joined the firm of Harrison and Held, she was with Nadler Birnath, uh, and, uh, and she also did estate planning administration there. She's based in the Atlanta area. Kim has a bachelor's degree in English literature from U- University of Virginia. She's also learned to earn her law degree from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And uh, her publications include uh, articles in Trusts and Estates magazine, Family Lawyer magazine. She's also been on a number of podcasts like Wealth Matters, uh, for example. And she recently recorded an informational uh, video that you can find on uh, TrueLink. It's on the subject of divorce and special needs children. There are so many special needs young adults out there. If you have someone in your family or you know somebody dealing with this issue, listen in. This is a, 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 a topic that touches so many lives. Kim is a frequent speaker on the subjects of special needs trust, guardianship. As I said, divorce settlement uh, agreements has been on many um media outlets. She's on lots of different uh, not-for-profit and for-profit boards. Really, this issue of special needs advocacy uh, is core to Kim's life. Uh, she has unique challenges and joys of parenting a special needs child. So this is her in the right in the crux of her professional life and her personal life. And Kim, as you know, I, I share that experience with you, not as a parent, but I have a special needs sibling. I've opened up very, just a little bit on the show in the past about that relationship, and I'm I'm willing to go further on this show, and you'll see the course of tonight how um, the questions I, I have for you are ones that uh, directly impact our family. So, Kim, thanks for being on Equal Footing. Well, thank you for having me. Kim, let's start. Obviously, I'm trying to get people's attention with this Britney Spears case but let, let let we'll get to that before we get to our first ad break but start us off by explaining what is the difference the difference between guardianship and conservatorship as it pertains to young adults often special needs young adults sure you know this this is a, con- a confusing issue sometimes in part because uh, guardianship is a state-regulated issue, and so every state seems to have its own name for all of this stuff. So typically, certainly in Georgia, where I practice, guardianship is the name for care of the person. So a guardian's job is to make medical decisions for their ward. The ward is the person that's under guardianship um, to sign contracts on behalf of their ward, to decide where their ward lives, to basically be a parent. I mean, guardianship is essentially parenting. Um, And so conservatorship is, instead of being care of the person, that's what guardianship is, conservatorship is care of the person's money. Mm-hmm. And it's it's called different things in different states, um, but in Georgia, guardianship is care of the person, conservatorship is care of the person's money. In many states, guardianship of the person and guardianship of the estate is what you would call those things. So, Kim, when a lot of us who were following the Britney Spears case, uh, she was mm-hmm. under conservatorship for uh, almost, I guess, over 13 years, also heard about decisions in her personal life being subject to the approval of 
her conservator, her father for, for many years, including whether she could remarry, whether she could get her birth control uh, device removed, whether she could have children, stuff that just seems um, – I mean, we don't even often hear about this stuff because in this case she had the legal resources to, you know, to follow the case to its fruition and the, the, a lot of the testimony was a matter of public record. Uh, so it doesn't seem in that case a conservatorship was just about her money. Well, and that's because Brittany, and I'm not a Brittany expert, but I can tell you that Brittany lived in California and in California, their terminology is different. So they say conservatorship of the estate which is care of the person's money, or conservatorship of the person, which is what we call guardianship here in Georgia. So I think that Brittany's father was conservator of both her estate and her person Mm -hmm. initially, Mm -hmm. which means he made decisions about medical treatment. I mean, in Georgia, and I believe in many states, you can't compel somebody to accept medical treatment, you can just choose a course of treatment. But, yeah. they, but the ward always has the ability to say, no, I'm not taking that pill. I'm not getting that shot. Yeah, and in her case, I, I don't know. I I'm not a California that, lawyer. Right. And it's important for our listeners to understand if, if you've got something going on in your own family uh, with loved ones, around, or loved ones around someone who's developmentally uh, disabled and there's an issue of or or is going through a mental health crisis and there's an issue of of guardianship on the on the table it's important to understand that these are state regulated these are state statutes uh kim is in georgia every state is different so we're not going to try to give any kind of legal advice on this show if you do want help you can go uh to kim's firm uh, harrison and held and that'll that'll also be in the in the show notes or lots of other resources out there but let Back to the high level, Kim, in, in, in Brittany's case, then we'll get off of, of, of Brittany in particular, but in Brittany's case, my understanding was that uh, her father successfully made the case that she was incapacitated because she was in a mental health crisis and she was uh, he was given conservatorship uh, as a result of, of what the court determined was her, quote-unquote, dementia uh, at, at the time. Now, my understanding is... The significant majority of folks that are under guardianship nationally, almost 1.5 million, who are young adults, we'll talk about the elderly on some other show, but who are young adults, are, are special needs, uh, young adults with their developmental, significant developmental disabilities, uh, like autism or Down syndrome, but there is some percentage of, of young adults who are going through, I'm saying young adults because if you're under 18, you're, you're automatically a guardian or a ward of your parents. But if you're over 18, young adults who sometimes are going through an acute but temporary mental health crisis. Is that, is that correct? Can you be put under guardianship, so to speak, even if you're, you're going through a, a, a situational, uh, mental health crisis? Well, you can in theory. I mean, if, so there is such a thing as an emergency guardianship. It's not permanent. So conventional guardianship is permanent, permanent in the sense that you are under guardianship until a court says that you're not. But if you're having an episode, let's say you're having a manic episode and you're a danger to yourself or you're a danger to somebody else, and it's it's one of those, you know, situations where we've got to do something right now or something very bad is going to happen, it's possible to get something called an emergency guardianship. You can get it more quickly than a conventional guardianship, but it only lasts for a certain period of time, and then it's over. So if you've got somebody that's having ongoing mental health 
challenges. Typically, what people will do is they may petition for an emergency guardianship that allows them to hospitalize or institutionalize somebody for their own safety for a brief period of time, typically Mm -hmm. two weeks or so. But then they might simultaneously file a permanent, a petition for permanent guardianship, which is you are under guardianship indefinitely until the court says that you don't need a guardian anymore. And I think that's what happened in Britney Spears' case where she was under temporary Mm -hmm. conservatorship and then her father applied for that to become permanent and the court granted it, I think, in 2009. You know, Kim, I, I thought that what you're describing was in the category of, you know, on, on uh, TV and movies, will you, you know, the trope of, you know, there'll be like a police sting and uh, you, you, the idea that the, the, the police, if asked if they're a policeman, ha- a police person has to say, yes, I'm a, I'm, I'm an officer of the law. And of course, that's a myth. There's nowhere in the Constitution, but it seems like there's so many movies and TV shows where, that's the case uh, where that, that trope is repeated. And I thought it was the same thing around guardianship because there's so many shows about uh, this scary circumstance of someone being put under temporary guardianship in like a, a rehab facility or a mental health facility and kind of losing their rights. And and uh, But I learned in the research for this show that that actually happens. I mean, I'm not saying it's for the wrong, and I, I'm sure you can tell us most, the vast majority of cases, it's merited. But this really happens. I mean, you can have... Your your rights around your own determination of your 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 like I said your place of residence your, rom- your residence your romantic life your whether you get married and have children that those rights in the United States of America can be taken away from you permanently. It, that's possible. In fact, it happens all the time. I mean, that's that's essentially the definition of guardianship. We're talking with Kim Martin, who is a. a Really a national expert. She's been in lots of different media outlets. She's a law partner at the firm of Harrison and Held on the topics of guardianship and conservatorship. When these rights are taken away, we'll come back and talk about the good reasons that they are, uh, often of young adults when they turn 18. And I'll just, uh, before we go to our first break, the National Council on Disability estimates there are almost 1.5 million people in the United States right now under guardianship or conservatorship, and that that represents asset. Their assets are in excess of 50 billion people, uh, and the National Council on Disability is uh, an advocate for there to be uh, reform in this area. Uh, and there's an uh, there's been a lot of and Kim, help me out with the terminology. What is it? Um, consultative. What's this? There's a movement, uh, a, a kind of against guardianship in general, and I'm I'm slipping my mind the 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 name of it. Oh, so are, are you thinking about the supported decision making? Supported decision making. Yeah. So we'll, we're going to talk about hmm. that about after the uh, about that after the break as well. I am mush mouth tonight. Call and participate. Give us your input, your questions about this topic of guardianship and conservatorship, as it perhaps has touched your own life. You can participate by calling seven one eight. Three zero three nine zero nine zero. That's seven one eight three zero three nine zero nine zero. We're live. You don't have to say your name. I know this is a sensitive subject. And do so now, anonymously. And you can also send in a question or comment by text, either attributed with your name or anonymously, to nine one seven four two eight four zero six two. That's nine one seven four two eight four zero six two. And we'll be right back. Supposed to know what's right. 
Equal Footing with Dove Tusman is brought to you in part by Mechanical Art Capital. Mechanical Art Capital offers two-day financing to watch collectors and watch dealers from anywhere in the world. This is a booming field. Unlock the cash value of your inventory if you are a watch dealer or your collection if you're a watch collector through Max Easy buyback contracts. Mac or Mechanical Art Capital is available to you through its app on the App Store, both on uh, Android phones and Apple phones. And you can easily get your watches, your collections appraised. It's free of charge. And within one or two days, Max, you can get easy financing against that collection to make another purchase or to finance home improvement or whatever it might be uh, to expand your business. You can do so also by uh, going to the Mechanical Art Capital's website. That's mechanicalartcapital.com or by calling 833-209-0972. That's 833-209-0972 for more information on Mechanical Art Capital's financing program for watch inventory if you're a dealer or for a watch collection if you're a collector. Call now. I've been We're back on equal footing. I'm going to try my name again. Dove Tusman. That's me. And I'm on with Kim Martin. Kim, your name's easier than mine. Um, and I think maybe part of why I'm mushmouth tonight is I'm a little nervous because this is close to home, Kim, this topic of guardianship. I have a younger brother. He is now in his mid-30s, and he displays uh, the traditional display for William syndrome and, and, and other forms of severe Functional in certain ways, autism. He is brilliant in, uh, is extremely detail-oriented, has an amazing memory. He's a brilliant musical editor and a musician in his own right. And I love him to death. Um, he is uh, my only younger brother. I have three younger sisters. And he's under the guardianship. I, I suspect it's in, it's in Massachusetts. You may not know the statute there, Kim, but he's under the guardianship and I think also conservatorship of my mother. And I worry um, about decisions sometimes that get made. I uh, I think as all of us as siblings wonder what happens down the road. Um, and I got a, a tough question for you on this topic just to dive into it. What do you do as a loved one where you have, there's someone in your life who's under guardianship, and you're not sure that the decisions that are being made are the right ones or you at least want to have them challenged or looked at from an outside perspective, is there any block to the kind of absolute power that the guardian has? Well, you know, the guardianship isn't it, – there, there is no absolute power. The court sees guardianship as a partnership between the guardian and the court. And so the guardian does have reporting requirements that they have to meet. Um, they're not incredibly stringent. If you're a guardian of the person, as a lot of states would call it, then you have to do an annual uh, personal status report that tells the court, here's what's going on with the ward, here's what kind of medication he's on, here's what he does with himself during the day, 
you know, just here, here is how his life is going. And the court wants that annual update to make sure that the guardian is doing the job that they're supposed to be doing. Um, the reti- re- reporting requirements for a conservator are more stringent because we're dealing with money. And frankly, dollars are just easier to keep track of. And it's easier to tell if somebody is doing something that they shouldn't be doing with dollars. They have to do an annual accounting. They have to submit a spending plan to the court. Once the court approves the spending plan, they have to follow the spending plan. If they don't follow it, they'll get a citation for mismanagement. But if you're just a family member who feels like maybe the guardian themselves is not the best person to be the guardian anymore, it is possible to go to the court and ask that that guardianship be reviewed and and have the court make a decision as to whether the best possible person is serving as guardian. So I, as a sibling, if I'm concerned that, in this case, my mother's guardianship of my sibling is in some way, um, if not being abused, not appropriate, whatever, I have a concern about it. I have legal standing. I can go to the court. It's it, it's not my sure. brother that ha- has to do that? Well, no. I mean, and your brother, by the way, it, uh, as a person who is under guardianship, he is not absolutely, completely without rights. And, okay, I'm, I'm speaking as a Georgia lawyer here, but I would imagine that this is probably the same in many other states, if not all of them. One of the rights that is not taken away, if you're under guardianship, is the right to appeal the decision. So a person who is under guardianship still has the right to hire an attorney to represent them to protest either the guardianship itself or the the, the, the person who is the guardian. I hate to go back to Britney Spears, but... Let's just go there for a minute because we've heard so very much about Britney Spears. You know, her initial approach to the court was, this person is not the best person to be my guardian. Eventually, she had the guardianship removed altogether. Mm -hmm. But but you can certainly do that. And anybody who is an interested party, which really just means somebody who cares about the ward, can go to court and say, you know, Maybe this person does need a guardian, but the guardian who's in place right now is not the best person to mm. do that job. But that's got to be pretty rare, right, Kim? I mean, in that case, you know, she's a very visible figure. There was a whole, like, free Britney movement. Uh-huh. She had the resources, and, and she, in her case was, was we know, an outlier in that she had temporary guardianship that then became permanent based on a mental uh-huh. health episode. She was already married. She had a couple kids. I think it was partly instigated by her, like, you know, literally shaving her head unexpectedly and like hitting a reporter's car with an umbrella. There were some episodes and, and his, her father was successful, but most cases it's a, it's a little paradoxical because we have someone who is probably incapacitated or incapable of making certain types of sophisticated decisions has the right to, to approach a lawyer, but probably there's a little bit of like a Heraclitus paradox there, right? They're like, if they're incapable of making sophisticated adult decisions, they're probably also not capable of, you know, realizing they need and sourcing a lawyer. So in most cases, it feels like people just must get stuck. Well, and, and that's why a sibling or a friend or someone else who qualifies as an interested party, just simply a person who cares about the Mm -hmm. ward also, can go to court and say, this is not okay. (laughs) This guardian is not doing the job that they're supposed to be doing. 
So the, the ward themselves does not have to be the person who approaches the court and says, I'm not being treated properly or I'm not being taken care of properly. Because you're right, many times, it, you know, if the ward does need to be under guardianship, that means that they're not really capable of speaking on their own behalf or going out in the world and hiring somebody else to do it for them. And I'm not, I, I'm putting you in a little bit of an unfair position, Kim, because you're a lawyer and, and I know from our previous conversations prior to being on the air that, that you think the system is, is mostly beneficial, if not almost entirely beneficial. But something's going on in our national zeitgeist around this because it was a big show recently. I think it was a Netflix, uh, some listener will correct me if it wasn't on Netflix. I saw it, a movie called I Care a Lot about abuse in the guardianship system uh-huh. of the elderly where there were like people that will get themselves appointed as guardians and basically like, abuse and steal money and get fees. We're not talking about the, the elder care on this program, but that's part of the, the, the zeitgeist right now. And then even the American Bar Association uh, has recognized that this is an issue that needs to be addressed. Uh, from one of the recent reports on guardianship and conservatorship, a quote, uh, quote, while most guardians do the right things for the right reasons, when guardians commit acts of abuse and exploitation, the, inca- the impact can be tragic and unimaginable. This is the ABA. Uh-huh. The lack of overall data, and in many cases a lack of oversight and accountability, make it impossible to quantify the scope of abuse by guardians, but this association believes it's something that merits significant additional research. So even the ABA recognizes that there is abuse in the system. Before we go to our, our next break, Give a, why do you think the system mostly does work? Because it just seems like it would be massive opportunity for abuse. Oh, there is massive opportunity for abuse. But, you know, ideally, when guardianship works the way it's supposed to, guardianship can be almost like a suit of armor that you put over your child. And, and I'm speaking as a mom who has a 16-year-old with autism who believes everything that everybody says. And I am constantly trying to be like the human shield around him to protect him from all the people that he doesn't know exist who don't have his best intentions at heart. And so, you know, the removal of a lot of rights that that we think of as really important, significant, fundamental rights, the right to make your own medical decisions, the right to get married, the right to um, decide where you're going to live, that's a big deal to remove those rights. but. You know, we we all walk a fine line as special needs parents mm, yeah. between the desire to let our kids live the best, fullest life that they can possibly have and the desire to protect them from all the people out there who don't care about them. So yeah. that is where I think guardianship has a role. And I imagine the vast majority of guardians are family members that... Uh, where the decision uh-huh. is rooted in love and sacrifice. I mean, I know in my mother's case, God bless her, she's spending a significant portion of her adult life attending to the needs of her adult child, my brother, who for whom she's a guardian. So uh, I imagine that is sec- effectively is a protective shield as well. These aren't folks that are that are mostly going under the guardianship of institutions. Uh, in I imagine, or am I wrong? Most cases, I imagine, are, guard the guardians are individuals and most often family members. Yeah, well, in, in my, certainly in my own personal practice, almost always I'm representing parents who have an adult child who is going to need care potentially forever, sometimes maybe not forever. I mean, you, you can undo a guardianship, 
if, you know, sometimes we've got that borderline kid who is really smart and is going to go to college and maybe he needs some support in college, but, you know, we've, we've got the kid who really could be great and fine, but at the moment, this kid still believes everything that gets said to him or, you know, they, they freeze when they're in a doctor's office and they absolutely can't make a decision about what kind of care they need. Right. My brother has his developmental situation is often referred to as the innocence disease where he just uh doesn't comprehend anyone might be manipulating or lying to him. And so, you know, you know, if if someone I'm bringing this to an extreme, but if someone said, for example, you know, let's get in a a bus and take to, to Georgia, um, you know, if, if said with the right tonality and the right framework, you know, you might, be nervous or scared, but you might go. And it's just very, uh-huh. it's very scary. You, you do need uh, someone with, with love and knowledge of the situation and, and with that protective impulse. And at the same time, boy, as a parent, Kim, it's also, and as, you know, obviously as a child of, a, of parents as well, I just can't imagine that parent-child relationship being that, that point of, that stasis, that point of like protectiveness day to day for an entire lifetime. There's something that well, this is the life of a special needs parent, yeah, yeah, that's where we all live and and you know, after you get over that that period of being in the weeds when your child is usually when they're little and you get this diagnosis, and sometimes you've never even heard of it. You have to go look it up. I had never heard of autism, right. well, okay, I had heard of it, but I had to google it when i was when somebody said autism to me, I kind of went, hmm. <laughs> And, you know, now I'm a huge expert on it. But, you know, once you get over that period of of just being stunned and helpless and, and terrified, you rally as a, as a mom, as a parent, and you immediately switch into defense mode. What can I do to take care of this kid forever? And that's my entire practice. Yeah. That's what I've based my entire legal practice on because... It was so important to me to do that for my own son, and that's what I do as a mom, and that's what I do as an attorney. Is you know we're we're done with the oh no, this is not what I signed up for. We got done with that when our kid was three. Mm. Now we've moved on to what am I going to do about this, and how am I going to take care of my child yeah. for the rest of your child's life? And God bless you for yeah for that, and for all those parents and and, and siblings out there of. Uh, special needs and incapacitated and one way or another uh, individuals where you're providing love and often and support through often the legal system through guardianship and conservatorship. We're talking to Kim Martin, who is a partner uh, at a law firm in Georgia that is focused on uh, lots of areas as affects as, as it affects special needs families, families with special needs, special needs uh, children. And here we're talking about that transition from folks that are under 18 to becoming wards, uh, becoming uh, coming under the, the, the purview of a guardianship or conservatorship arrangement once they become uh, 18 and, and some of the perils of that, but ultimately the, the benefit of the system. Participate by calling 718-303-9090. We'll take you patient caller on line four after the break or text a comment or question. We already have a couple of very emotional ones that have been sent in to 917 428 4062. That's to text 917-428-4062. We'll be right back on Equal Footing. 
Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on Back on Equal Footing, I'm Dove Tusman. We're talking to Kim Martin, who's a partner at the law firm of Harrison and Held, and we're talking about this complex issue. It's so much more than Britney, so much more than the case of Britney Spears, but that case really brought it to the national attention, put under the spotlight, this issue of guardianship and conservatorship of folks that are deemed by the courts to be incapable of managing their own lives, maybe an intellectual or developmental disability or a mental health challenge. Almost 1.5 million Americans are under guardianship and conservatorship, meaning they've lost the ability in many or most cases to make decisions not only around their financial life, but around where they live, who they marry, whether they have children, what kind of health care they get, etc. So let's take a couple of questions and comments. Let's say I think line four. I may need some help here from my <laughs> line four. Are you on the air? Can you hear me? Hello. 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 You're on the air. Thanks for coming. Hey, uh, Dove. How are you? Stan. Stan? Hey, Stan. Yes. Good evening. Uh, uh, for the lawyer and for you, this is specific. there has been a national uh, movie. There was a movie made of this situation, as you know. Uh, if you remember, Dustin Hoffman, Tom Cruise, and Medicine Man, in which Dustin, uh, Tom Cruise is estranged from his family. His father dies, there's nobody else, and he finds out that he has a brother who is, in a way, like... You mean brother. Rain Man? Rain Man, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't I'm, get I'm it. Sorry, it was I'm a middle word. I I'm, I'm, get... a, I'm a big fan. I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, Medicine Dustin Man. Hoffman, I'm like, Medicine Man, I haven't seen that one. Uh, no, it was Rain Man, and it, if, that's that's exactly the situation. And he finds out he has this brother, which is father, but he was estranged from his father. And the, uh, his son, who... Uh, was retarded and uh, a clairvoyant, is put in a mental, uh, state mental institution and given guardianship by the state, and all the money went to them. And he doesn't know about it, he finds out about it, he's trying to get some of the estate, takes the, the brother out over a period of weeks, goes all around with him, he's, he knows numbers, goes to Las Vegas, wins. but in the end of the movie, he, he, he loves him and brings him back to the, uh, and he challenges him, he brings him back to the uh, the institution and so forth, but it was it, that's exactly the story, and I think the council. Well, am I right, council? Yeah, let's take a break, Kim. Is that is that? I mean, it's great when anecdotes and, and, and stories, even like the, the the Britney Spears case, come into the national attention because it just shines a light on other things. But often they're real outliers. I think the story of Rain Man in the movie has got to be extremely rare. Uh, but Kim, elucidate us. Okay, so first of all, love Rain Man. Have not been able to watch it since my own child was diagnosed with autism, but love the movie. I think, I think that the deal in that situation was that Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise's dad had a special needs trust 
that's the other thing I do. So, of course, I have to talk about that. But he, I think that the deal was that the guardianship wasn't as relevant to that movie as the fact that Dad left all of his money to a trust to take care of Dustin Hoffman. Right, right. Instead of leaving it to his ne'er-do-well spoiled son. Right, right. Who just got the car. Played, right. by, played by Tom Cruise. Right, he had a car business, right. Was that is that it was was the ne'er do well son played by Tom Cruise or have yes on? yes yeah. Dustin yeah. Hoffman I think he won an Oscar he won an Oscar he was brilliant I thought yes. that was a fantastic movie but I think the deal was that Dad left all of his money to the Rain Man character the Dustin Hoffman character right so the, and and the Tom Cruise character was all mad because he wanted mm. Dad's estate. Now that must almost never happen. It. That must right. I mean, where the money is left to the developmentally disabled person is that? Well, that that actually happens all the time it in does? my world. Okay. A lot of my family. Well, they don't leave it directly to the child because that would be terrible. That would be a horrible decision. And I'm sure that that is not what Dad did in this situation either. Okay. What you do is you leave it to a, a particular type of special needs trust. It's called a third party special needs trust. Can I ask a question, please? I'm sorry. What percentage of the country has this? I mean, uh, you know this, but is it very big in the country in terms of these type of arrangements? Of, uh, is it like 2%, 3%? What is the, do you have an idea nationally what it is? Do you mean what percentage of the country has a special needs trust? Or no, yeah, trust, trust or? and guardianship. Oh. Do you have an idea at all? I'm just wondering. Well, I mean, I'm, I, I don't know that off the top of my head. I can tell you, as a, just the one statistic that I do know for sure, um, in Georgia, where I practice, um, 25% of the families in the state of Georgia who have children have a child with special needs. Wow. Which That's means wow. very likely, hopefully, if these people have done the planning that they should be doing, very likely those people do have a special needs trust incorporated into their planning, their estate planning, and very likely, you know, a guardianship may be involved when their child turns 18. And, and Kim and Stan, in doing some of the research for this show, uh, I could stand to be corrected here, Kim, but my understanding is that the advocacy organizations, particularly as it relates to autism, predict that over the next 10 to 20 years, there's going to be an explosion in at least the diagnoses. And part of this is positive because it's people being more aware as opposed to, you know, not diagnosing things with what, what they are, not getting proper care. Part of it may be an environmental situation going on in the way that children are being raised, but there are there, all the sources that I saw indicate that there's going to be an increase in it over the next generation uh, around uh, folks that are in the in, in in need of these types of of guardianship arrangements you do a good job uh, counselor well thank you i appreciate it <laughs> thanks for the call stan always a pleasure bye so kim we spoke about before, I think it was before the first break, about, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot here, about the concept of supported decision-making. And there is a movement out there that, that if not universally, is against guardianship and conservatorship setups. It, it does advocate for a dramatic reduction in those setups and says they're, they're overused and proposes an alternative structure called supported decision-making. Can you talk to us about that? Is is this a... Uh, is this something that can work? 
Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I, I mentioned that fine line that we all walk as parents when we have special needs children. And I, I do sometimes have people contact me who have been to some seminar or heard somebody speak about supported decision-making. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not here to knock supported decision-making. I think it, it what is, what is it, tool first of all? In the well, how, would, how would it actually work? Well, the way supported decision-making works is you assemble a, a crew, a, a, you know, like a, a committee of sorts. You, you collect the people who care about your child and who want to support your child and help your child. And ideally, you form sort of this committee that the child goes to and consults with, as a, and, and sometimes this is, proposed as an alternative to guardianship, but if the child, let's say, um, has an interest in a particular type of work, they might go to this this group, this supportive decision-making group, and say, I really love this type of work, and I really want to do this kind of work, and the, the goal is the group gets together and they go, okay, let's identify something that you can do within this field that you're capable of doing, and then let's make a plan to help you get there. Mm. It's, it's a great process, but when it's proposed as an alternative to guardianship, that's when I get a little bit worried, because in Georgia, at least, there is guardianship and there is not guardianship. There's nothing in between. So supported decision-making doesn't have any real legal teeth. So the way that I like to see it used is in conjunction with the guardianship. So there's nothing that says that you can't petition for guardianship of your child and still have this committee of caring, supportive people who help your child give as much input as they possibly can into the decisions that go into their care. Right. So if I hear you right, saying, okay, yes, of course, supported decision making should be in place all the time. There should be a kind of a, a mm-hmm. committee of support for everybody who is a ward, who is under guardianship, but it, it can't replace a legal structure because otherwise you could have people make re- bad decisions that are really bad for themselves. Yeah. It's so hard for the, uh, those who are listening who have, uh, intellectually or developmentally disabled, uh, children, loved ones, or, or, or folks that are going through significant mental health challenges and can't make decisions that are good for themselves right now. It's so hard because how do you pick one person, you know, because these guardianships are not by committee. It's, it's a person. It's usually a loved one. It can be a lawyer, et cetera, as well. But it just, it feels so tough. Like I, I just, even, even parenting, you know, we're not just one parent most of the time, sometimes in single parent homes. And most of the time there, you know, there's, more than one parent, their grandparents, or others that help make decisions, and for all that power to be vested in one person, as it is with my brother, vested in my mother, is tough. It's just something doesn't sit right about that. Well, you know, the thing is, there may be only one guardian officially, but that is not to say that there can't be a lot of voices that contribute to decisions about the care of that child. So a lot of times, families, the, the families that I work with, I'm I'm lucky because I get the cream of the crop. I get the fantastic families that truly have good intentions and sacrifice a great deal of, of time and energy and their own resources to take care of their child. 
Um, and, you know, that's a multi-generational process. So very often I'll represent mom and dad, but they're already looking down the road to the day when they're not here anymore. And sometimes I've got siblings who will attend the hearing, and those siblings are nominated in mom and dad's will as successor guardians. Mm-hmm. So yeah. ideally, got- it is a family affair. Yeah. So I want to quickly before our last break get to a couple of uh, listener comments and and, and questions. Um, one listener who actually was on we did a show uh, some months ago called "Shh, the Adults Are Speaking," and it was about I'm laughing about it, but it's really a tough emotional subject. It's it's about like in these divorce cases where children are given kind of lawyers their own, and that they you know often uh, certain types of communications with the parents and custody battles are are uh, delimited and, and often parents feel like their own parenting powers has left them even for a very small child, six, seven or eight year old child. We heard a very moving story with one parent of, of describing a lawyer who was assigned as a guardian ad litem visiting them in, in uh, at school and pulling them out of class. And it was traumatic for the child. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole, but the reason I'm mentioning this is that one of the guests on that program who went under a pseudonym during the program, given the sensitivity of her legal case, so I'm not going to say, um, her name just wants to correct something we said previously on the show as it pertains to that specific situation where she's saying that when the child uh, in a custody case has been appointed a legal representative or guardian, neither parent nor any other interested party can effectively advocate uh, for that legal representative or guardian to be removed, that it, that that decision is with the judge, and it's very hard to change that decision. So, uh, do you think is that does that sound right, Kim? I know it's a different practice area, but it's an important clarification for folks that might be conf- conflating the two situations. Yeah, you know, uh, this is uh, that's such a painful situation to be in. But um, it, a, a guardian ad litem is not the same thing as a guardian of someone who is under guardianship. The guardian ad litem's job is to investigate a situation and to be the eyes and ears of the court and to report to the court as a third party whose only goal is the welfare of the child. So that person doesn't have the ability to do things like make medical decisions for that child. I mean, that's that's always right. the parent's job. So that's just a different job. Right. It's, it's, I, we're using the word guardian in both cases, but that's, that is not at all what a legal guardian and conservator is. Right. Different situations. And it's, it, I've been getting mm-hmm. an education on this. So many, so many challenging stories around it. Uh, before we go to the break, Dr. Marion Spencer is a professor at, uh, LIU, Long Island University, has been on the show previously. She's listening, and she wanted to clarify for her listeners that in the state of New York, uh, for persons that are deemed incapacitated, you can call the Justice League. You can find uh, uh, online those resources, the Justice League. Uh, if you have a concern around the guardianship or conservative si- conservatorship situation, you can report that anonymously. And if it pertains to uh, an adult, uh, you can also uh, call Adult Protective, protective Services, so an outside person will review the the case uh, anonymously. So there are resources. I imagine, Kim, those types of resources exist in most states. Yes, and and the courts do take that very seriously. And uh, the, I, I'm not saying that there is never abuse of a guardianship because it certainly does happen, and it's terrible when it happens. But um, there there are 
various types of recourse. It depends on the state you live in as to what the specifics are. But, um, you know, once, once you're under guardianship, that doesn't mean you just have to sort of take whatever treatment you're, you're given. Right. Although I did read, so we're, we're going to take our last break in a minute, but I did, I did read that under 1% of permanent guardianships are overturned. So it does seem like, uh, you know, once you're in that position, uh, it's, you know, it's hard, it's hard to get out. Maybe you shouldn't get out, but, you know, we'll be right mm-hmm. back. And we're putting, well, we're talking to Kim Martin, who's a partner at Harrison and Held. We're talking about the difficult and complex subject of guardianship and conservatorship for individuals that are incapacitated, either because of a intellectual developmental disability or mental health crisis, et cetera. We'll be right back. Equal Footing with Dove Tasman is partially brought to you by DocuVax. You've heard me talk about DocuVax before. I'm a lover of civil liberties and free speech and not having your uh, your information in the hands of the government or others that uh, not necessary. Well, DocuVax allows you to take the most sensitive information in your life, your medical records, your psychiatric records, etc., and bring them back into your own control. DocuVax provides a HIPAA-compliant easy-to-use digital locker for your medical records. It's accessible on your smartphone or your laptop, and it allows you to safely store and validate basic medical information, immunization records, lab results, even x-rays and MRIs. You know, your insurance company does not own your medical records. They have to review certain ones. They approve certain procedures, et cetera. They don't own your medical data. They don't even need to have all of your medical data. Your doctor does not own your Medical records. Again, there's occasional and appropriate use. Uh, certainly the government doesn't. So organize your personal medical file. The DocuVax system, which is available on your smartphone, either Apple or Android phones in the App Store under DocuVax, D-O-C-U-V-A-X, or you can go to DocuVax.com, again, D-O-C-U-V-A-X.com, and it covers over 60 different important elements of your medical profile, from COVID, flu, and tetanus vaccines to preventative screenings like colorectal and breast cancer exams, even to your blood type and your allergies. Sign up. Go to DocuVax.com. You can also call. And if you're an organization that wants to sponsor DocuVax subscriptions as a benefit, like you would a, uh, a gym membership to your employees, there are discounts available. If you mention you heard about DocuVax, on equal footing. You can call 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933. Two last things on DocuVax. One, it's cheap. $6.99 per month for most users. Uh, allows you to privately access all of your medical records from this HIPAA-compliant digital storage facility on your smartphone. And the other thing to mention is that that validation point. Medical professionals Doctors, nurses, physicians' assistants are on call for you 24 hours a day, 365 days a year to validate a certain vaccine record, a blood test, or anything else in your locker that you need to provide to an employer, a concert venue, a school, uh, wherever you need to provide that information without giving information you don't want to provide. You don't have to give your birth date. 
to someone or your place of residence to prove that you have a vaccine. So take the hands, take, take the, the power of your medical records back into your own, ta- your own hands. There goes that mush mouth again. Take control of your medical records at docuvax.com or call for group discounts at 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933. I've been caught We're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. I'm on with Kim Martin. Kim, you're so uh, generous with your time and also grace under pressure with these tough questions around guardianship. And oh, it's my pleasure. And conservatorship. Yeah, I, I really encourage folks that are going through this uh, type of, of circumstance to reach out and get legal help. Uh, Kim's with the firm of Harrison and Held. Uh, but there are lots of firms also in your state that Harrison and Held is in how many states, Kim? I know this is a state level issue. Um, I, I think there are five or six states. And I'm sure you will have in the show notes information, but even if they're not available in your state, they can make a, re- a, re- a referral to another firm. We have another listener uh, question here, Kim, and, and then we'll need to wrap up. Um, this, this listener asks, when fighting for getting the conservatorship removed by a judge, does the judge follow some type of precedent, or is it just his or her decision? Meaning, does the judge alone make such a huge decision, or are there guidelines uh, he, the judge has to follow? Well, it is the judge's decision, and the judge the judge's only interest, if, if somebody petitions to remove a guardianship or a conservatorship, is the first question that the court has to answer when they impose the guardianship or a conservatorship is... Does this person lack the ability to make or express significant responsible decisions about their own safety and care, or in the case of money, you know, can, do they do they lack the ability to make responsible decisions about their finances? So, if that condition is still present, then it's unlikely that a judge would remove a conservatorship. But they, the, so, the the judge is an absolute monarch in that situation. I mean, he he hear her. Well, that's what judges yeah, are. Yeah. That's their job is to right. decide questions that are put before the court. Yeah, so, it's a t- so, you know, yes. One of our listeners writes uh, it, it, with ex- deep experience in this field. It's it, um, it's a tough si- situation, especially when it comes to mental health situations. At times, the guardian becomes a barrier for providing the right treatment to the client, meaning when the treatment team tries to provide psychiatric services to the client, the guardian takes over the session and will even refuse to let the client have privacy with the professional. And this person goes on. I think the point is, and I've, I hate to say I've, I've seen a little bit of this in the guardianship of my younger brother uh, who special, has special needs, is, is like there becomes almost like a sense of pride and protection that um, th- there's inertia to that relationship. And so the guardian won't want to do anything that will um, kind of in any way abate their power. And it sounds like this listener has seen the same thing happen. Well, that's the same when that happens. But, you know, keep in mind that guardians don't have carte blanche to do absolutely anything they want. I mean, guardians are, are under an obligation to include their proposed their ward to the extent that it's possible in decisions that mm-hmm. affect the ward 
Right. So the guardian may have ultimate say, but that doesn't mean that they don't have to listen to the wishes of the ward. And, you know, it's always good to challenge systems. It's what it's what gets things to improve, and we're blessed to be in a society where we can do that. But I do want to be fair to Kim and your practice and the practice of lawyers around the country that that work in this area of guardianship and, and uh, conservatorship and those who are acting as guardians and conservators. Uh, across the country for people that have special needs and are in crisis, can't make the right decisions for themselves. The vast majority of these situations are done with love and care and, and, and principle based and there aren't, there, there isn't abuse. Kim, let's wrap up on the phone. We just have about a, a, a minute or two left. In a utopian world where we didn't have to rely upon the legal system, um, what, what would be the, the best possible Wait, what do they say about democracy? Like it's the worst, it's the worst political system except there's nothing better. And I know that this guardianship system is not perfect, but if it could be perfect, how would, how would the system work? Well, I mean, if I get to have a utopian world and, and just wave my magic wand and have it be any way I want, I, I have to say, you know, this is a wish that I have often wished for myself. I would love to have the world just be the place that my son thinks it is because in his mind, mm. everybody is kind mm. and honest. Everybody is his friend. There are no bad intentions. If you need money, you go to the bank because that's where the money is. You know, that's not where we live. I would love it if we lived in that world, but we don't. We live in a world where people are looking sometimes for somebody to take advantage of. And mm. I wish that that wasn't the way it is, but it is. So mm. we have to have some mechanism in place to protect the people who need to be protected. And what we have is guardianship. Now, I can't think of anything else that's Kim, better. I love that. I was like, you should see a smile on my face. I, I, I want to dedicate this, this show to my younger brother, Emmanuel, who I love from from here to eternity and i also wish the same that the world were the way he sees it with which is with benevolence all around him and love all around him and so god bless the work that you and your peers do to ensure that folks are protected from the real world <laughs> kim thanks for being on equal Thank footing you. talking about this sensitive subject thank you for having me catch you next week i